This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, treats me like commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect. He wants price and delivery. And if we're over twenty dollars, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old don't know value. Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all the work it takes to deliver from all the different corners of your company. Today, I have Jim Hardwick, who is a new friend, um, a sales leader, a great mind, a great guy. Jim, welcome. Thanks, Mark. It's great to be here and great to talk to you this morning. Um, so tell us, Jim, you, right now you're with uh, you're an outsourced chief sales officer for companies in that kind of tweener mode between the time they haven't had a CSO, chief revenue officer, chief sales officer, and the time they need to have their own full time. Is that right? So tell us a little bit about that and how you got there. Yeah, um, I am a fractional outsource VP of sales. I've been a VP of sales for 20 plus years, been in sales for probably 35 years. And um, what, what I really, my passion is, is helping organizations um, that are having sales struggles, sales pain. What that looks like is a CEO do a great job. They start their companies, they build their companies, and they hire three or four salespeople. And the sales reps are reporting to the CEO. CEOs don't have time to have a bunch of sales reps reporting to them. They, they don't have the time to do the ride-alongs. They don't have the time to do the, the one-on-ones. Um, they change the comp plan in a couple of years. All those type of things that as a company grows and builds, they, they struggle with. And so I can come in there and I can um, run that sales organization for them for a period of time. I can help manage them, get all the systems and the processes in place um, and just help relieve that sales pain. So then the CEO can go and do something else. I've got two clients I'm currently working with. They're million dollar clients. And uh, believe it or not, they virtually one has no sales reps and has no marketing. It's all been through referrals. Well, you can't sit around and wait for the phone to ring, aggressively wait for the phone to ring. So right. what happens is they want to grow from a million to two to five. I'm working on them with a go-to-market strategy. So just because I've been in the corporate environment, um, I have the wisdom, the knowledge, um, and the t-shirts to prove it, that now it's it's very rewarding to come and serve the business community, primarily even you know the local business community, which I just thrive on, because I've been on an airplane for the last 20 years, almost every week. I virtually don't know anybody in the Phoenix marketplace. Can I work you know anywhere? I can work anywhere in the world. But it's just fantastic to be able to work with business owners in the Phoenix marketplace and help them increase their revenue. Yeah, you know, when I talk to clients and I have clients, a couple clients in that kind of size range, um, they 
They're easier to change. They're willing. They really want to get better. Uh, they haven't dug themselves into any ruts. So there's a certain amount of fun in working with clients like that. Are you finding the same thing? Oh, I would say the most rewarding thing is, is they appreciate you. You, you get to speak life into them. When you're, when you're an individual business owner and you're working and struggling every day to make ends meet, there's not a lot of people that come and say, you know, you've got a great business here. All we have to do this and this, and we can really take it to the next level. So they are so appreciative. And when you make, you know, I bring in a CRM to help them monitor their sales, or I develop the comp plan, or I, I just hired a, a sales rep for an organization. They value that. Contrast that to the corporate environment. No matter how good you are, there's always something that you're not doing right, yeah. right? Always a nemesis. And, and that's corporate America. And that's fine. And I, I value that. And I learned so much. But those, those, those smaller, small to mid-size, I typically run between three to 50 million, three million to 50 million. They just embrace that. Yeah. um, It's, it's really, really fun. A few, a while back, um, it was my first client ever. And I was so nervous for my first meeting. And I don't think I slept at night. And I'd sent him an agenda and I was just on my, just, just nervous. I wanted to go perfectly. And the meeting went well. And at the end, I said, is there anything I missed? Anything we can change? And they said, oh, no, Jim, this was exactly what we're looking for. This is this was great. And I just kind of went, "Okay, now this is a team effort. I'm not in corporate anymore. These are people that value the experience and knowledge and somebody to come alongside them and just lift them up and help them and and get them to that next level. And they appreciate that. That's so cool. That's, what a rewarding way to get up and, and spend your days. Well, I love it. I love it. Let me put it in perspective. Over New Year's, I, uh, I worked eight hours in my office. And this is the difference of being working for yourself versus um, a, a corporate America. I worked eight hours in my office on New Year's Day. And I walk out to my wife. I said, this was a great day. If I would have done that and, and, and I was working for, you know, my past jobs, I would have walked out of my office and go, oh, my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I need to get a life. Man, this is terrible. I just put eight hours in and, and, and I'm just so frustrated. And when can I retire? And all those things go through your mind, right? Yeah. You're in business for yourself and it's a different motive because, and I go back to in the altruistic approaches, the opportunity to serve others and help them make their businesses better, that empowers me. And that's what it's about. It, to me, it's not about the money. And I always feel I don't, I've never chased money. Money will come if you love what you're doing. And I'm at that place now in my career that I just love what I'm doing. Yeah, that's great. So actually, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on is that you said in one of our earlier conversations that um, you don't necessarily buy into all the process and all the automation. And maybe it's because you're working with you know smaller companies where you could very easily get over-processed, right? Over-structured. But um, you're not a automatic CRM believer that where you've got it, you've got to develop tons of process and tons of methodology. Um, I say it only as much process as it takes to get the job done. And you, you said something similar. So I, 
tell me what you think about um, sales process methodology and, and automating putting a system in place because there's a I, I found a lot of wisdom in that. Well, and thanks, Mark. I, I'm very simplistic in my approach with sales. I'm very, very fundamentals. It's, it's like even in basketball, fundamentals. You do a bounce pass. Use the backboard when you do your shots. Um, it's a lost art to see a bounce pass half the time in basketball. Um, and so I'm the same way. Somebody said to me, well, what, what, sales, what sales training do you use? Or what? There's a million sales training. They all they all work, and they all basically say the same thing. It's just they're written with different words. Um, well, what CRM? Well, there's I think 300 CRMs out there. 600. 600. Okay. 650. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. The bottom line for all those things is you have to have the foundation so it's replicable and it's sustainable. But you can over-engineer so many things. And if you're not increasing revenue, you fail. Yeah. Care what CRM. I don't care what sales process. I don't care what comp plan. If it's not increasing revenue, it fails. And some some of my peers or sales consultants will come in and they spend so much time just devoted to all the processes. That when they're done, nothing's happened, but now the sales reps have to do a ton more paperwork or a ton more of this, and they they haven't learned how to sell. They haven't learned to go out and ask the difficult questions. They haven't learned how to follow up. They haven't learned the discovery, the value. What's the value? What's the outcome, which is so, so vital? And because ultimately, how are we going to make that customer's job in life easier? And when you can do that, and you can articulate that, and the customer can articulate that to you because you've done a great job of getting to know the customer and figuring out what their solution is, then everybody wins, regardless of the CRM and regardless of the sales process. Yeah, the you know, you've read the book that I did write, but there was a book that I didn't finish and didn't publish, and it was called Antipreneurs: Why Big Companies Can't Innovate. And um one of the aspects about big companies, and it's not really big companies, it's leaders in who've worked in big companies. And the, the principle is where anything worth doing is worth overcomplicating. <laughs> right? And, and it's not just a big company thing. It's a leader thing. It's like, I know how to sell. So I'm going to make a system and I'm going to build it out and I'm going to put more detail. Oh man, you know, I once remember this happened. So let's, let me write the big process and let's make everybody document it every single time uh, because it happened to me once. And we often bury our people in the complexity and forget to teach them how to do a bounce pass, how to dribble the ball. Yeah. How to use the and so my book that I did write is all about let's just get back to basics and uh, it's so refreshing to hear a highly experienced vice president of sales say no, let's get the basics right first and we'll build on that. Yeah, and I would say people in my career, I I, I just I would always hire adults. I don't have time to babysit. I don't care what my reps were doing during the day. Get the job done. Now, Mark, you and I both know, if my reps were 30% the plan, we have an issue, right? Yeah. 
one or two things. Either it's a terrible plan or they're not working, you know, and I, I have to assume it's not a terrible plan. So, but if, if they're hitting their numbers, if they're blowing it out of the park, who cares? Yeah. Personally, I don't care if they can. I had a rep years ago. This guy was a veteran. He was a pro. He literally worked three days a week and he was 100% the plan every year. Now, what could have you done at five days a week? Who knows? But he would still hit his number and he would say, Jim, I'm playing racquetball Thursday afternoon. I didn't have a problem. And, and maybe people go, well, that's not a good way to manage. He was doing exactly and overachieving what his requirements were. He was a great mentor to his peers. There you go. Player. So yeah. when you have that, why am I going to say, you didn't fill out the CRM correctly on Tuesday at four o'clock. You forgot to put this about. It's a waste of time. Now, he did what needed to be done, and he wasn't that big of a maverick. Um, but that's the way I've always managed. You go get the job done. I'm here as your leader to help you, to support you, to take out the, the, the hurdles in front of you and give you the right training and direction and, and skills that you need to be successful. If you can do those things and and do them well, you're going to be successful. And that's my responsibility to that, that employee. Yeah, now that, in that story, you said one key thing, you know, and it's not just that he had he'd working up to plan and in, in three days, it was that he wasn't that lone wolf who was dragging everybody down. You said he was a great mentor to others and he was generous with, with his time and others. So he wasn't a cancer on the organization. He just wasn't, uh, that every day I've got to be in the office, make an appearance grinder. Yeah. Yeah. But he was that type of salesperson that most corporate America would cringe at right now because they felt like he wasn't giving them the 40, 50, 60, 70 hours that they expect. And, um, and I, I always say you can't necessarily be successful in today's world working 40 hours a week, you know, as a sales rep, as a manager, as a leader, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. At times comes, you might work 18 hours one day, you know, yeah. because you have something coming up and that's what you do. You do yeah. that. You're driven and you want to be successful. Yeah. My first big boy job was at Gore and we didn't have titles and we didn't have job descriptions and you committed to the company, what you were responsible for. So you made your own commitment and your commitment was your job description by mutual assent. And so I, had this mindset of um, being self-directed and managing yourself and being com- being accountable for the outcomes, for the results. And then I went to a highly structured uh, command and control function. But a little while later, I went to GE Capital and the Western region of my product and the, the Western region in my business unit was about a dozen people and uh, Bob McRae, if you're out there, you are one of my best bosses ever. Um, there were guys in that. So we were selling money, selling commercial real estate loans to single tenant operators and owners. Some guys went to developers. Some guys went to banks and got their turndown loans. Some guys went to commercial real estate brokers on the buy side. Some were on the sell side. Some were commercial brokers. And uh, some people went out and just talked to uh, owners of real estate, owners of businesses. Everybody had their own approach. And Bob did not care. Make your number, 
whatever works for you in your territory, in your system, with your personality, with your network, just make it happen. And um, the monthly calls were um, Rich Rudolph. We had a, the, the pipeline, the, the funnel was empty one, one period. And so they said, all right, everybody get out and start doing some uh, outreach, some cold calls, some you know, prospecting. And I wanna see you know, if, if you can do 30, 40 calls a day to uh, business owners. And um, after about a month, he said, all right, everybody stop. Today, we're going to have Rich Rudolph, one of the, one of the uh, sales guys, tell us what he's doing because he's making five calls a day and he's got a better pipeline than any of you. And so he stopped everybody and Rich said, well, here's what I do. I do re mad research on a company on the internet, on their industry, on the owner, on the business. I read any articles about that owner and then I call them with one to three really insightful questions that get them thinking about his business and about how he can use, how he can grow his business using our money. And um, so instead of making 30 dumb calls, I make five great calls and three of them uh, turn into second calls and, and one or two of them turns into opportunities. Yeah. And so Bob let everybody have their own system. But when he saw something working, he said, now let's capture that and replicate it across everybody. And so he made sure that happened in the most unthreatening possible way that rewarded the guy who was doing well, recognized him and said, everybody look at him, look what he's doing, look how he does it. And he practiced with you when you were doing something well. It's like, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I'm going to ask. And here's kind of what I'd like to make sure that you cover in the call and then let you go. Yeah, I call the 30 or 40 calls, that's called trolling. You know, when you troll for fishing, yeah. just, you know, I hope I catch one. I hope I catch one because you don't have a clue what their issues are, what their pain points are, if they even need you, if you're making 30 or 40 calls a month. That is just such a great example. I once worked for a company out of Ireland and um, great products, amazing products, but it was uh, privately held and they were all scientists that ran the company. They literally would pay, incentivize their sales reps and give them bonus based on how many sales calls they made. Oh. And nothing to do with bringing in revenue. How many sales calls with part of their bonus plan? Oh, my gosh. So in their mind, they equated activity creates results. Well, yeah, there's people that are just going to do the activity because they have no skills to create the results. They just want that part of their bonus plan. As long as they can survive in that world, they will. Same company, uh, GE Capital. There were two um, appointment setters, sales development reps that were kind of a pooled resource for the entire country. So once a quarter, they would call you and say, I've got a week's worth of time or I've got three days. I'm going to call into your territory. Is there anybody you want me to call? What do you want me to say? And um, there was one guy who would make 40 to 70 calls a day and one who was consistently making two to 300. Two to 300 calls a day. And he was getting bonus like mad because he had figured out that the bonus was for how many dials yeah. and the, the counter for a dial tripped at a, about a second to a second and a half. So he would dial the number, wait a second and a half, maybe it would ring, maybe it wouldn't, and then hang up. 
So he was hanging up before anybody could pick up the phone and getting bonused. It was insane. Well, and that's why I always say comp plan drives behavior. Yeah. When you have a base of, I'm just throwing out numbers, let's say $75,000 and you live in a, an area that $75,000 you can live comfortably and then you have incentives on top of that. What's the incentive if that person gets comfortable at $75,000 to grow the business? And if you don't hold any accountable to make quotas, which happens a lot, especially in smaller business, that person continues to stay there for year after year and brings no revenue to the company. And I'm being a little facetious, but that is a real life type of situation. Instead of your $75,000 base goes to $40,000 with the opportunity to make 150,000. But guess what? The person's either going to get out of bed in the morning because they want to make the 150 or they're going to quit because they don't want to work that hard. You know, comp plans drive behavior. Um, and I want to go back to what you were saying. And I'm going to, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Just, I had a um, call with um, one of my close friends. He's a, he runs a um, sales for a very, very large company um, in distribution. And he said the struggle with their team now is they, they can't go in and meet face-to-face -face with the customers. And they're really finding they're struggling because when you have that face-to-face -face meeting and they would be in front of their customers once every two weeks, once a week, um, and this is in healthcare, they, you learn a lot. Just by showing up, you learn a lot. By being present, um, by walking in the purchasing office, you can find out, oh yeah, we're looking for this. So there's an RFP coming up or this is going on. Uh, new capital equipment we're looking to buy. Um, so he says it's really struggling, but with COVID and the way the world's changing and the way we make sales calls today, we can't let that deter our success, that we're not there. So what do you have to do? You've got to be more proactive. You've got to get a reason to be on the phone with those customers. You've got to make sure maybe you're not there in presence and life, but make sure that you're there to take care of their needs. And if they think of somebody, you're the first person they call. If you're not in front of them, if your mindset and they're not knowing that you have their backs, somebody else is going to be doing that and their competition is going to beat you. Yeah. Another vice president of sales and I were talking, uh, actually, uh, Christine was on my podcast saying this, that the, the people who are selling whiskey and tickets and relationship, that's, there's no longer the opportunity. Now you have to not just sell the value, you have to be the value. And that's no longer, it, it used to be that's what the elite salespeople did. Now it, it's turned into what the survivors have got to do. Everybody's got to do it. I saw, I didn't get the source, but somebody said that there was research that said only two or 3% of customers think that their salespeople is a trusted advisor. 82% uh, don't think their salespeople adds much value. And so it depends on how you ask the question, whether you're a trusted advisor or whether you like lower the bar to, do you add any value? And it's still pretty miserable. And so that's kind of what I was going for in radical value of be the value, understand your customer's world. And if you get on a Zoom call, even less frequently with one of your contacts, when you're, if you're that distributor uh, or that, you know, that, that company in healthcare, 
you're going to be you're going to be having a conversation that adds value lets that person know you've got their best interest at heart and you're thinking about how you can grow their business and that's when they mention oh there's this rfp coming up you're like a valuable person in my life i'll bet you you'd be a valuable contributor to that and when you're in that virtual world that's the only way to get him to say that it's not just by showing up it's by by showing up virtually and being something to them and you've got to earn that trust, build those relationships. Yeah. You could bring value and you can, not, you know, I don't know if this is right, but ask for the value. You know, they, they know that, again, I go back to you. They, when I was a distributor and a distributor rep, distributor rep years ago, I used to tell them, I work for you. I'm paid by my company, but I'm work for you. Use me. If you need a product, I will go research it for you. And there's many times in my career, I would go and they say, I need this. I'm looking for this type of test. And Mark, I would go and do my research. I'd come back to them and say, okay, here's the test. You buy it from this manufacturer. It's this price, the room temperature. This is, this is what it does. I mean, I can't buy it through you. No, you can't buy it through me because we don't carry it. But here's the 800 number and they can ship it in you know a week. Really? Wow. That to me, I was bringing value to that customer because I was no longer a sales rep. I was a sales consultant. I was more interested in making sure that they had what they needed because when they did need something that I had, guess who they're going to buy it from? It's that simple. But a lot of people don't want to take that effort. They call back and say, no, we don't carry it. What value did you bring that customer? You didn't bring it. They could have got, you know, yeah, nothing. nothing. I... Um... I'm on this, I'm on a tear this week about value focused culture and everybody in the company has got to be the value. And um, you, you know, you've, you've given me you know, feedback on the book that I wrote, but it's something that you live by and you keep your salespeople really focused on that. That's a pretty cool thing. Well, how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah. That's how you differentiate yourself. How do you make yourself relevant in a, a world that is just so busy and it's instant gratification? To me, I'm when I sell, I'm either and the products have always sold. I'm there for the long term and not for the short term. Yeah, the short term sales reps sometimes that give the the name for the sales reps a bad name because they're the gunslingers. They don't care what who they kill on their path to get the sale. Versus if you want to be in your territory, if you want to be there for a long time. You've got to build those relationships, build that trust and create that value. And, and you can own it. You yeah. own your territory. I used to always talk about that. You own your business and nobody can walk in the door and take it away from you because you've solidified yourself with that account and with the people within the account. And not just the, the one person. you got to know everybody in that account because if that person leaves. You've got to have an on-deck circle. Absolutely. And when that on-deck circle and the next guy comes in and says, oh, we always buy, buy from Jim. And here's the reasons why. It's a lot easier to make that introduction to the new person than try to introduce yourself to the first time to that person and nobody else knows you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jim, am I, we're already at close to, uh, we're, we're already close to time here. What haven't we talked about that you wanted to make sure that we, we get out there? Um. I would say the world is changing drastically. Sales is not going to be the same 
travel's not going to be the same that it used to be. It's the people that are, are innovative, that are proactive in their approach. We can't, any company cannot look back or set on their laurels, or I'm sorry, should not have an excuse about COVID. They all become C players. They need to be looking at how can we do and how can we change to meet the ongoing demand. Third quarter of this coming year, I think is going to be very dynamic from an economy standpoint. The vaccine's kicking in, things are going to happen, businesses are going to get back. You can't be left standing still. Now's the time you need to be proactive. And if you don't know what to do, call people like myself. You know, there's a ton of us out there. There's a ton of marketing people out there. Give these people a call that are experts. You can talk to them for an hour, a month, six months, you know, utilize them, but get experts in to help you so you don't feel like you're doing this all by your own. People know how to help you and get you where you need to go and use those resources. And how can people get a hold of you if they want to do that? Well, I'm, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on my website, which is www.jhardwick.salesacceleration.com. And my phone number is 623-451-1080. And here's my gift. If you just have a question, if you want an objective opinion, call me. It's free advice. And as I always say, it's free advice. But if it works, we're going to celebrate. And if it doesn't, call me back and we'll figure out another one. So um, I love serving. I will say that over and over again. I love serving the, the business community. So I'm here to help. Give me a call. Cool. Well, Jim, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for joining us on this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we believe that value only exists in your customer's head, which means that your success with your customers is all in your customer's head too. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.